So this is, uh, this is the message uh, in a sentence today. You'll hear me say it in a bunch of different ways, but uh, I think the theme of last week and the theme of this series is really this. It's, it's small things done with great love can change the world, right? God uses small people and small things to do amazing things. He, he infuses it with power and uses it to change the world. Today, I want to wrap up the series talking about impacting your neighbors on an ongoing basis because sometimes I think it's easier to do a big splash event like this. It's easier to do a one time a year. Everybody's doing it, kind of get on board and go do the thing. It's easier to do that one time of year thing than it is for us to live that way and live those small things out and live that kind of servant sort of lifestyle day in and day out throughout the whole rest of the year. And so, but, but to do so would be a disservice, and to do so would be to miss out on all that God wants to do uh, in you and through you as you follow him. And so today we're going to kind of end with that. I'm going to take you on a bit of a journey, um, and, and, and we're going to kind of talk about that. We'll do a whole bunch of application at the end, uh, but that's kind of that's where we're going. Small things done with great love can change the world. I'm going to start out this morning. I want to give you a little bit of a quiz to, to prove a point. So I know you guys are like, oh, no, I didn't study. You were supposed to. But anyway, I'm going to do two different quizzes. Pretty straightforward, pretty easy. I want everybody to participate, not hard stuff. Put up that first list if you would. There, pretty easy. Which country has the largest population in the world? China, right? Everybody knows this. How big? About 1.4 billion, right? A big, big, big country. What's the tallest mountain in the world? Mount Everest, right? These are pretty easy, pretty straightforward. 29,000 plus feet to the peak. Pretty amazing. What uh, type of tree is the tallest in the world? Redwoods, right? The, the tallest one has grown to be 379 feet tall. Crazy, crazy tall. Who's the richest uh, person in the world? Bill Gates, yes. I mean, we've, we've heard this. Has a net worth of around $86 billion. A little bit more than I make. Just, <laughs> just a little bit. But yeah, yeah. I mean, we, these are pretty straightforward kinds of things. So I want to, everybody doing pretty good on the test so far on the quiz? Good. I'm going to flip this, and I'm going to ask the opposite questions and see how we do. Next, next list. Next, there you go. What country in the world has the smallest population? Antarctica? No, actually. Vatican City, right? 920 people. It's its own sovereign state. Okay, what's the world's smallest mountain? Anybody? Nope. Is it in Illinois? I don't know. <laughs> Mount Greylock, elevation 3,491 feet. What uh, type of tree is the shortest in the world? No. Good try, though. Not a bonsai. Anybody else? There's a dwarf willow tree, which when full grown is five centimeters tall. Five centimeters. Can you imagine? Like, that's a full grown tree. Like, really? It's, it's a dwarf willow. Like, what makes, I'd call that a weed, but I guess it's got all the characteristics of a full grown tree. How about this? Who's the poorest man in the world, the poorest person in the world? Yeah, not even close. <laughs> Good try, though. Listen to this. The poorest person in the world is a guy by the name of uh, Jerome Kerville. He's in jail right now for fraud. After they, after they sold off all of his assets, he still owes $6.3 billion in debt. He's $6.3 billion in debt, making him officially the poorest person in the world. So let me just ask the question. How would you guys do on the quiz? Did you do good on the second half? 
Did you do pretty good on the first half? Why is that? Why is it that we know, why is it that we know right off the top of our heads, we, we know about things that are grand, things that are the biggest, things that are the largest, people that are the richest. Why is it that we can know those, but we don't know the smallest? What do you think? Education system, perhaps. But, but what is it about us as a culture that does that, huh? We don't care about the small. It's true, isn't it? We don't care about the smallest. We don't care about the poorest. We don't care about the littlest tree. We don't care about whatever. We are enamored by big because big in our minds equals better, does it not? We want to be biggest, the richest, the best, the whatever. We think that bigger is always better. It's sort of the American way. It's sort of like the Texan way or something, right? But I mean, bigger is always better. We kind of, we kind of believe that to the core of our, our being. I think we believe it. Uh, we certainly believe it about money. More is always better, right, than less. We believe it about, uh, about corporations. We believe it about churches. Bigger is better. We believe it about all kinds of things. We even believe it in the spiritual realm. We believe that uh, pe- you know, people that are more gifted, more talented, we believe that bigger ministries and buildings, more programs, greater talent will result in greater effectiveness for God's kingdom. We believe that. All of us, I think all of us probably do in one way or another. We often think that God can do more where there is something going on that looks grand and marvelous than he can in something that looks minuscule or tiny or small. We tend to think that bigger is better in all kinds of realms, even in the spiritual world. And we believe that the opposite is also true. We act as though God is not working or could not work as much through smaller ministries, through lesser talented people. I would dare to say through lesser talented people like us. We tend to believe this stuff through fewer programs, through smaller things. We think if it isn't big, that God must not be in it. Not only do we believe this about churches and ministries, but I think we believe it about ourselves. Sometimes I I hear it implied in what people say. Sometimes we believe and we think that we may not be big enough or talented enough or knowledgeable enough or gifted enough or important enough or whatever for God to be able to use us in ways that he he thinks, in ways that we see him work in others. But let me ask the question, is bigger really better? Is God limited to only work through the superstars in our midst? I hear people hint at it all the time. Oh, sure, God can use them or work through them because they're smart or talented or beautiful or gifted or whatever, but God can't use me. Ever heard that? Ever thought that about yourself? We're often not overt with it, but we can hint at it from time to time. I'm not smart enough or talented enough or big enough, but is that really true? Is bigger always better? Or can God use little things and little people to make a big difference in his kingdom? Put up that next picture if you would. These are pictures of a little church in a a, a, a town in Missouri called Smithton, population 532. Smithton, Missouri, or as I prefer to call it, misery, right? Can anything good come from Smithton? I mean, what could God do in a church in a little town of Smithton that has 532 people in the entire town? There's nothing going on there, right? There's nothing that's happened. What could possibly, you see the setup here? (laughs) This is crazy. Actually, this little church um, made all kinds of news a number of years ago. 1998 showed up on the front page of Newsweek and Time and a bunch of other places because in this little tiny church, more than 200,000 people in 1988 from all 50 states and from 30 countries around the world came to visit this church. 
God was doing something. God was making his, his presence and his power known in some unique ways, and people were hungry for it. They were starving for it. Little tiny church in the middle of no. God doesn't really do stuff like that, does he? God doesn't really work in, in little towns or in little, God doesn't really use those in powerful ways for his purposes, does he? Small things, even small people, small churches, God has a propensity. He, he I would say, prefers to use small people to do incredible things so he can put on, his, uh, display his power and his glory and his sufficiency, even in our insufficiency. God works every day through small people, through small things to change the world. I want to look for just a few minutes at a passage uh, in Luke 13 where Jesus sort of teaches about this. Jesus wants to get this point across that, you know, it's not always about the big, flashy, grandiose kinds of things, but the way that God tends to use small things to have great impact. Jesus teaches this story. He gives kind of two different illustrations to show how life with God, life in God's kingdom tends to work. Luke 13 verses 18 through 21. Let's take a look at this. Says then Jesus asked, What is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air perched in its branches. Again, he asked, What shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like yeast, like a little bit of yeast that a woman took and mixed into 60 pounds of flour until it worked all the way through the dough. So Jesus sort of starts out here asking a question. What's kingdom, what's the kingdom of God like? What's life like with God? No one had ever seen God's kingdom uh, as the way Jesus was describing it. He he never really defined it, but he started telling stories about it and saying, you know what, let me give you some examples. Let me give you some, paint some pictures for you, some broad strokes of what life looks like with God. And so he starts out and says, well, let me, let me tell you a couple of different stories. His first example, Jesus says that God's working is sort of like a mustard seed, which a man takes, a person takes, and plants in, in his or her garden, and it grows and grows and grows and grows and grows and becomes like a tree, so much so that the birds of the air can come and perch in its branches. Now, the mustard seed, right, and I think we know this, it was very, very small. The black mustard seed was the smallest seed ever sown in the first century in that part of the world. Here's, here's a picture of it, <laughs> if you can see it. He's got it in between his fingers there, or her fingers, or I can't tell, but can you see that? Just barely, right? It's a tiny, tiny, tiny little seed, probably about a centimeter uh, tall, maybe even less. Because of its size, the mustard seed was used as an illustration in that day and age for anything that was small or insignificant. I mean, today we kind of use other, other words like that, like we'll use like pea, pea brain, ever heard that? Your pea brain, what does that mean? Small brain, not so sharp, not the smartest or the sharpest knife in the drawer, the smartest whatever, right? We use phrases like this. In the first century, they would have talked about a mustard seed brain, right? (laughs) Very, very small, very insignificant, very, very tiny. But even though the mustard seed was small, it would grow and become the largest of the herbs grown in that area. It typically would grow, you can see, almost to like a tree that would be maybe 10, 12, 14 feet high, taller than a basketball goal. It was big and bushy enough for birds to come and roost in it. 
So Jesus says, that's what life is like in my kingdom. He's like, man, just, just a little speck of faith, right? Just a little, a little seed planted in the heart of somebody can grow up and can have a huge impact. And then he goes on and says, it's not only like that, but it's kind of like yeast, a little bit of yeast that's added to dough, and it has a huge impact, right? A little bit of, ye- a little bit of yeast put into perhaps 60 pounds of dough, and it works all the way through and causes all of it to rise has a huge effect. As a boy, Jesus undoubtedly right, had watched his mom make daily bread. She would have used yeast to make it rise. Now, it's not dry yeast the way that we think of it, but it would have been a little bit of the, the uh, dough left over from the day before, just a little ball of it that they would take and they would knead and work into a, a much bigger uh, batch of dough until it was all, uh, all intermixed. And that would be enough. That would be enough yeast to cause all of that bread to rise. Pretty crazy thing. He'd seen it every day of his entire life, probably. But the most important part of this illustration is the amount of flour, the amount of dough uh, that that this small amount of yeast was mixed into. It was huge. Scholars aren't 100% sure. They they translate it in the NIV 60 pounds, but all we really know is it was a ton. It was a huge amount of dough. This was not daily bread. No housewife would have an oven that was big enough to hold this amount of dough. The very vastness of dimensions of Jesus' story shows that he was not describing an ordinary household baking situation. Even though the original ball of yeast would be very small, if he's saying it would have a huge impact, even on a very, very, very large batch of dough. Can you imagine 60 pounds of dough? How big is that? Like, I don't know, it's like a garbage can full? Like, I'm, a couple, I mean, I don't, it's, it's a huge amount. What he's saying, again, is even though the yeast would be small to start out with, it would have an enormous impact. Now, Jesus isn't just teaching about farming here with the seed. He's not just teaching about baking or something. That's not his point. He's, he's communicating a very important kingdom truth, which is this. God uses small things to create a big impact. Think about the truth of this that's found throughout the pages of God's book. Listen to this. When God wanted to create a new nation to call his own, He didn't start with a large, established family. Instead, he chose a nomadic man and woman too old to conceive children on their own. When God wanted to lead his people out of slavery in Egypt, he used a a man that was rejected by his own people and spent most of his life leading sheep. When God wanted a king to represent his people, his choice wasn't a big shot, wasn't the tallest, the strongest, the bravest, wasn't necessarily the best looking, but he chose a shepherd boy that was forgotten in the field by his father and brothers when he knew they were looking for a king. When Jesus wanted to feed 5,000 people, he used a small boy sack lunch to do it. When Jesus watched people give, he wasn't impressed by the richest, biggest donors. The thing that caught his attention, right, was the widow's might, the widow's penny. And when God came to earth as a human, he didn't choose a family that was rich and famous. He didn't send his son into a a family of royalty to live in lavish living. No, he sent his son to be born in a barn, to be parented by a couple of poor people, poor teenagers, quite frankly. That seemed unimportant and insignificant as a family. God, throughout history, God has again and again and again chosen to use small people, has chosen to use small acts of service to transform the world. What we might see as too small and too insignificant to matter, God sees as something that he wants to use to accomplish his purposes. Do you believe that? 
There are some of us here this morning, I think really that we need to hear this because we, we look at our lives and we look at the day to day and we think our lives are too small and too mundane to make a difference. But can I just say that is not true, not from a biblical perspective, not from a God size perspective. God specializes in using small people. He specializes in using kids. He specializes in using people that maybe don't have all the degrees after their name, that don't have the the positions of power and prestige. He specializes in using ordinary, small people in supernatural ways, people that are humble enough to say, you know what, Jesus, I need you. I'm not all that on my own, but would you show your power? Would Would you work your plans through me today? I'll tell you what, give me a church full of people like that. Be amazing. I'll show you what, I mean, I'll tell you what, God will change the world through people that are humble enough to live their lives that way. God uses small churches. He uses small people. He uses small things to accomplish great things for his kingdom. Listen to this. This is 1 Corinthians 1, 27 through 29. The, the verse before it starts out and says, uh, think about what you were when you were called. Not many of you were rich or powerful or on and on. It, says, it goes on and says this, verse 27, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. God is looking for, for people that are humble enough and weak enough that he can put on a show and say just th- that will look to God and God will come and fill them and use them to transform the world. Why? Because God wants to show his power and not ours. He wants to show his wisdom and not ours. He wants to show his presence to a world that desperately needs him. Little tangent for just a minute, but I thought this was fascinating this week. I was studying the word ministry a little bit. You know, the Greek word for ministry literally means dust or grit. <laughs> In other words, ministry is sort of dirty work. It sort of rolls up its sleeves and does the things that look unimportant in this world. That's what ministry is. We get our English word for ministry from the Latin root, which means small things, as in the word minuscule. Minuscule and ministry are actually related to the same word. (laughs) Small things, rolling up our sleeves, stooping down and serving. Jesus says, man, that's, that's what the Bible says. That's what ministry looks like. That's the ministry to which you and I are called. That's the way you and I are meant to live our lives is by doing the small things day in and day out, serving, loving, sharing, you know, taking care of the needs of those around us, pointing them to Jesus, pointing them to the life that's found only in Christ. I think very few of us live really big lives. Very few of us have big careers that make a huge visible impact in the public arena. Our lives and our ministries seem to, to deal with such ordinary things that it's often difficult to, to grasp their lasting worth. Christians often either abandon or, or give less than 100% to serving and loving and ministry in our lives because we believe it's too little to matter. We believe our lives are too small. Our, our, the things that we can do are too insignificant. Size becomes a discouragement. But just like God can bring a significant tree out of an insignificant seed, just like he can take a little bit of yeast and have a huge impact through dough, 
just like he's done throughout the centuries. God can use you. He can use your service. He can use the little things in your lives and in my lives to have a huge impact for his kingdom. Mother Teresa once said, uh, we can do no great things, only small things done with great love. What's the lesson? I think the people who, who make a difference in this life are not the ones often with the most credentials or the most money or the most awards or whatever. They are often the ones who do little acts of service and ministry with a great big heart for God, a heart that loves God with all they are and a heart that loves people, loves their neighbor as themselves. I remember, uh, I remember uh, hearing the story a number of years ago about a little kid that was walking down a beach uh, one day and for whatever reason he came upon this, this huge section of sand where there were starfish uh, just kind of that got stuck out on the sand and the tide started going down and so these starfish were stuck on the sand and they were all going to die. As he looked, it, I mean this section seemingly went on for miles. There were there was hundreds, probably thousands of starfish that were they're sprawled out. And this little kid started frantically running down the beach, grabbing starfish and ch chucking them back into the ocean, right? He's going one after the other after the other until this cynical older man, the way many of us get at some point, uh, came down and yelled, son, what are you doing down there? And the kid said, I'm trying to save these starfish. And he said, look down there. Th this goes on for miles. There are thousands of starfish. You'd have to be a fool to believe that you could save all of them. And the kid kind of looks down. He picks up one starfish. He looks back at the guy and says, I can save this one. And he takes it and chucks it and continued doing his work uh, down, the, uh, down the beach. I love that story. And I'll tell you what, again, give me a church full of people with that kind of heart of like saying, I, I, I can't do the big things. I agree. I, it's beyond my scope. But I'm going to be faithful to do what's before me, what the Lord has given me today. I'm going to serve, I'm going to help, I'm going to love, I'm going to do that, and I'm going to trust that God will do the rest. He'll, he's in charge of the big picture. I'm in charge of being faithful for what God is prompting me to do today. I'm going to serve who's before me. The, the hungry person that's before me, I'm going to help them. I can't help everybody. That's okay. I'm going to serve the one that's before me right now. I'm going to love the person that's right before me today. The, the neighbor that I, the, that I see, that I lock eyes with, I'm going to serve them. I'm going to love them. I'm going to share with them about Christ today. I'm going to do what's before me today and what he's called me to do today. Man, it could change the world when we're faithful with little things. God uses it in unbelievable kinds of ways. Uh, okay, I got one more story. Again, I'm just coming back to the big picture, right? God uses small things done with great love to change the world. Always has, always will. He, have you heard that a few times today? Hopefully he'll keep hearing it. I mean, I'm just trying to get that in our brains that we can believe that and start to put that into practice in our lives. I was reading a book um, a while, a while back by uh, two different pastors. They're from Denver, Colorado, uh, Jay Pathak and Dave Runyon. The book's called The Art of Neighboring. I, it's a recommendation. If, you, if you're looking for a book to read, I'd encourage you to read it. It's a fantastic read. Um, but... Uh, fascinating story in there. Uh, these guys had gathered together with a bunch of other Christian leaders, and they decided to go and meet with the mayor. So this group of, of pastors and Christian leaders from the Denver area sat down with the mayor and said, boy, we want to we make a difference, right? We want to serve our community. We want to we have a big impact. So what, what are the problems? What are the ways that we as a church, if we unified and we came together and we decided to serve and roll up our sleeves and do this thing? He said, what, what is it that we could do? What's, what's the biggest problem uh, 
that, that we could come in and serve and really help make a difference in our community. And the mayor talked with him for a little while and then kind of came back and said this. He says, you know, if we could solve, uh, uh, just wait a minute, where's, uh, oh, he said, yeah, you know, we could solve a ton of our problems as a city if we could just figure out how to be a community of great neighbors. According to the book, later uh, in the same community meeting, the mayor mentioned when people see a problem and an issue in the community, they come to the civic leaders oftentimes. And, you know, they say, hey, this is a serious issue. You guys, the government, you guys need to do something about this. And he went on to say, I mean, uh, he went on to say, you know, so often uh, government programs aren't always the most effective way, way to solve social issues. The mayor communicated that relationships are more effective than programs. He says, when neighbors care for each other, he said, all kinds of needs get met. The elderly shut-ins get cared for. Kids get mentored. Crime gets taken care of. Needs get met, and on and on and on. One of the pastors says, as the mayor left, he says, I remember just sitting there, and before I could even think, I just blurted out, am I the only one uh, sitting here that's a little bit embarrassed today? I mean, We were asking the mayor how we can best serve the city, and he basically tells us that it would be great if we could just get our people to obey the second half of the great commandment, to love our neighbors as ourselves. He says, in a word, the mayor invited a room full of pastors to obey Jesus kind of thing. I thought that was a great quote, a great comment. As we talk about neighboring, that's what this whole thing is about, right? When this is, we, we talked about this week one, and we're coming back to it on the last week of the series. When somebody came to Jesus and said, Jesus, what's the most important thing? If you had to sum up this book into the most important things, what would it be? And Jesus says, here it is. This is it, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And then the second, the second part is like it. Then love your neighbor as yourself. He says, man, that's the main thing. If we could just do that, how our world would be changed, how our city would be changed, how our neighborhoods and our homes would be changed. If we would love God and put him first and foremost in our lives, and then we would start to begin to see every person that we lock eyes with as a neighbor and say, how can I love them as I love myself? How can I, how can I preference them? How can I serve them? How can I love them? What can I do to help bring them to Jesus, to help bring God's kingdom even down here to earth? You think that would make a difference in your neighborhood? You think that would make a difference in our city? Absolutely. Love God. Love your neighbors as yourself. Last week, we had an amazing opportunity to do this on a big scale, and we loved our neighbors, and we loved God, and you guys killed it. You did a great job. But the call of God is more than just once a year. God is calling you and me to be the church in our communities with our neighbors every single day, not just in the big splash kind of ways, but in the little details, the little moments of our lives when nobody else is watching when we drive by and see somebody struggling to stop and help, when we see a neighbor out that could use a hand to help, when we recognize a lonely, you know, coworker or whatever to stop and help, maybe you see a need, maybe you pray for him. Maybe there's somebody that needs groceries and you just show up with a bag of groceries, right? To be the church, to serve and really learn to love our neighbors as ourselves. Jesus says to his followers, he says to you and to me, you are the light of the world. 
A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and then put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, he says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Be the church, Jesus is saying. Love your neighbor. Let your light shine. Don't hide it under a bowl. Don't just stay in your house. Don't keep to yourself. Don't make your life about you. But really learn to love God and love God by learning to love others as well so that the world can see and be drawn to the living God. Can you imagine the power if all of us were to live this way doing small things with great love towards our neighbors. If all of us jumped in and started to live that way, can you imagine what God would do, what God could do through us? But we've got to be willing to jump in. We've got to be willing to take the initiative. We've got to be willing to start out and at least do something. God can use small things to have a big impact in the lives of others for his kingdom. He can do more than we can even ask or imagine, according to Ephesians 3. Let me do a few application steps, and, uh, and we'll be done for the day. I mean, I, I hope you're hearing my heart on this kind of stuff. We're just saying, man, last week was awesome. Way to go. Great job. Now let's, let's take that same sort of vision, that same sort of heart that you guys displayed so well, that same sort of calling, and let's live that out today and tomorrow, and the day after that in your home, and in, with your neighbors, and at your workplace, and on and on, because that is what we are called to. Let your light shine before men and women, before those around you, that they may see your Father and glorify Him. A couple application steps, and again, I've just picked a bunch of them, random kinds of things. Uh, the first thing you'll, you'll see on your seat, or you should have found when you came in, is this little thing, uh, called Who is My Neighbor? It's sort of a, we did something similar when we were just starting out as a church before we started meeting publicly. We had a launch team and we did this. This house in the middle with the little yellow house represents you, where you live. And these are just all the people that live around you. You know, it's fascinating, but before we talk about loving our neighbors, before we talk about serving and give, you know, doing all this stuff for our neighbors, we actually have to know who they are. And according to statistics, 63% of us don't even know the names of our next door neighbors. And so this is an exercise that says, hey, do you even know, and not in a guilt way, but do you know the names of your neighbors to start with? Let's start simple and sort of map it out. And you can write the people of the names uh, that live around you? Who lives across the street from you and on either side? Who lives next door to you? Who lives behind you that your backyards maybe touch or something like that? What are their names? If you're in an apartment, you can do the same thing sort of around you in your apartment uh, hallway or whatever. Just what are their names? And start out just writing their names, the names of their kids. I actually have, an, uh, <laughs> I have this on my phone uh, because uh, anytime I get details about neighbors, about people that live on my block or in my area, I always jot them down on my phone, so I always have it with me. Uh, but maybe you want to do that. But like, let's start with just learning to know the names of our neighbors, uh, kind of map out your neighborhood. I think every Christ follower should do this. I think everybody should know the names of our neighbors around us. And then I just said, look for uh, the second step is sort of build relationships. Look for ways that you can meet needs. One of the guys was giving me a hard time. We apparently have a typo. It says, look, uh, look for Ned's. So if you, if you find a guy named Ned, you can also, I guess, put that on your map. But otherwise, let's look for ways that we can serve and meet needs of those around us, right? I, this is not rocket science. It's small things. 
things, right? I went out, uh, I, I went out in the middle of winter after we had a, a bad ice storm, and I helped my neighbor um, saw and cut up and haul off wood <laughs> uh, because they had trees that fell all over the place. It was crazy. It was super cold. But I, just it was a way that I could connect with a neighbor. It's just a, a thing you can do, right? Uh, when we first moved to town, we... Uh, we had a, a s'more party and like a dessert party and just invited all of our neighbors over because we didn't know them and we wanted to. Like, so maybe that's you. Maybe you become the unofficial welcome wagon on your block. If anybody in the whole block moves in, bake something and take it over and just say, hey, I want to meet you. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Like most people, they might think you're a little bit weird, but they'll most, mostly think you're really nice, right? For showing up and loving on them and bringing them something. And so are there ways that we can just start looking for ways to build relationship? We can't even know how to serve until we know them a little bit. So get to know, get to know your neighbors, map them out, look for ways to build relationship and or meet needs. And the third thing is I just said prayer walk uh, and, and invite slash share, right? I mean, uh, prayer walking sounds scarier than it is. You want to know what prayer walking is? It's praying while you... Wow. I mean, that's, that's heavy, man. Small things. But you, could you, like, as you walk around, I don't know about you guys, we take walks all the time. We do this as a family. We'll walk around the block or just get out of the house or just, like, unwind or whatever. And so as you walk, we, would you pray sometimes? Would you pray for your neighbors as you walk by their houses? Pray for what's going on. Sometimes you can, sometimes there's stuff that's obvious that you know that's going on. And if so, I'd write down prayer requests in this little thing too. If you know of specific prayer requests, write those on there and start praying for them. Start praying that God would meet their needs, that God would reveal himself, that God would bring healing. Sometimes there's, there's broken marriages, broken relationships, broken whatever going on. Well, you can pray for those things. This isn't rocket science. It's little things done with great love that can change the world right? Everybody can do this. Take this with you and don't just take it with you. Use it. Put it someplace. Start working on it. If you don't know your neighbors, that's fine. I, on the first time we did this, I didn't know all of our neighbors. And so I'd write down, I don't know, get to know them, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. Just because I was like, let's be honest. There were some of them I knew, some of them I didn't. So get to know them. Uh, use that as a great tool. Um, second thing, this is just, a, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm just rapid firing ideas, just little things that we can do. Uh, there's a, a principle that we teach sometimes when we do uh, like evangelism or outreach uh, kind of training that's uh, the, the principle is barbecue first, right? They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. It's a little trite phrase, right? But barbecue first just means let's, let's build relationship first. Let's get to know them first. It's summertime. That's a great opportunity. You can have a, you know, as stuff is winding down for them, you can have a cookout. You could have a bonfire as we get towards the fall and invite neighbors over. You could, uh, I've been wanting to for the last few years for Halloween, I've been wanting to have a big fire pit out front with like s'mores and marshmallows and hot cocoa and stuff for all the parents is <laughs> a way to get to know them. I mean, I'm just like, let's, let's do stuff and move towards them. Just do little things to move towards them. And again, as you get to know them, you can look for ways to serve and on and on. Another one, I just this week um, had a conversation with uh, somebody that, that's working for uh, the Peoria School District, District 150, and we're going to be, as a church, moving, taking steps to start partnering with a specific school uh, in, in uh, the Peoria School District, and we're going to be having some opportunities to serve. So uh, eventually we're going to start out going slow, like maybe we'll have one thing a quarter this year, ways that we can help and encourage uh, and, and provide for kids and, and 
downtown and south side schools. I don't know which one yet. But uh, eventually, we'd love to have people in there tutoring and encouraging and helping out with teachers in the classrooms or whatever as a way to sort of make a difference, as a way to serve and say, you know, we care. We value what you're doing. We're on the same team. We want to see God do great stuff here. And so we are here to serve. Maybe that's something that you're like, hey, that's a passion area for me. I'd love to be a part of that. I'd love to help mentor. I'd love to help come in once a month or uh, whatever and meet with kids and help kids that are having a hard time or whatever. Maybe you jot that on your communication card. Maybe that's something that you kind of resonates with you. Maybe you want to be a part of the food drive that Tina mentioned earlier, August 27th to 20th. It's a way that we can neighbor. It's a little bit more general, but we can go to the grocery store. We can help raise a, a lot of food for, uh, for those that are particularly in need in our area. It's a way that we can be a neighbor. Maybe there's somebody specific around you uh, that is going through a hard time. Maybe you just need to keep your eyes open uh, just so that you're aware of needs and maybe you need to to step out and do something. I've got these bracelets that you probably saw on the on the table on the way in. Maybe you want to grab one of these as a way to help train yourself. This is why I have it on. It says, I am second, right? It's, it's these kinds of things. And uh, the reason that, that we have them is uh, I think we are in a culture that bombards us with the idea that I am first, right? It's all about me. It's all about what I want and what I need and what, you know, me, 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 me. This is a reminder that says, you know, if you are a follower of Christ, that's not the right order, right? It's a, it, it first, first and foremost, it means I'm a follower of Christ. That means that Christ is first in my life. He is first, I'm second. I live in, he sets the course, he sets the vision, he sets the direction, and I am following him. But it's the second half of the great commandment too. Not only do I love God and put him first, but also it's I'm learning and it's a reminder. Every time I see this, it's a reminder that says, you know what? I want to learn to love my neighbor as myself. I want to learn to serve and love and meet needs. I do not always do it well, but it's a reminder. It's a, it's a tool. It's a training. And not only that, but occasionally you get an opportunity. Somebody says, what's that? And you get to tell them. It's a cool opportunity. Maybe you want to take this and put it, put it on your wrist. And every time you see it and notice it, just let that be a little reminder of God, even just you could pray every time you see God, would you, would you lead me and guide me today? Would you help me to live for you and live to, to love my neighbor as myself and see what God does? Maybe it's something else. I don't know. But imagine if all of us would make a commitment to do not big things. Sometimes it's overwhelming to try and do big things all the time and we'll, we'll shut down and say no. But what if we just made commitments to, to say we're going to take some steps to start learning to love God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength in our neighbors as ourselves. Let's close in prayer. Father, we are um, grateful to be your kids. We are amazed at your great love for us. And Lord, I pray that you would just teach us and inspire us and challenge us and lead us and fill us and just do your work in us. Teach us to love others as well. Teach us to serve and to minister to love, to give, to not just with our words, but with our actions. Would you teach us really to be followers of you in the day-to-day of our lives, in the small things? Would you work and would you uh, use these little things and these little steps and these little actions in a way that brings great glory to yourself, in a way that brings your kingdom more fully here on this earth, that accomplishes your plans and purposes in this region, in our city, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, and in our lives, God. We need you so much. And we just confess that we are small people, but you are a great God. 
able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. And so we pray, come Lord Jesus, come and have your way. Come and shine uh, through us and in us. Come and accomplish your purposes and plans in our midst, God. And we will give you all the praise. Pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.